How about this rain? Awesome. It's not too cold outside, so it makes it really nice. This morning, I want to talk to you about being stuck. I titled my sermon, Stuck Near the Pools of Life. But quickly, when I was talking to Rick this morning, he pointed out to me that actually just being stuck was probably a better title. So we'll go with that one. I'm good at taking advice. (laughs) But I want to talk to you this morning about a man. A man who was stuck. Now this man was an invalid. He was a beggar. And he'd been that way for over 38 years. At some point he'd managed to go to a place of healing. But right there, when what he thought was going to help him, what he thought was going to heal him of his illness, was right there in front of him. He just couldn't reach it. It was right there in sight, but it was just out of reach. And the place of this healing was known as the Pool of Bethesda. So that may recall the, the passage that we're going to talk about this morning. The waters of this pool, however, were said to have healing properties. Way more powerful than anything that we would think of today. As a matter of fact, there was a myth that surrounded it regarding how these healing properties worked. Yet this man was there amongst the multitude by this pool, unable to get in, unable to get healing. He was stuck. He was stuck where he was. He was stuck in his condition. Then Jesus came. Jesus came to him where he was, and his life was changed forever. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John, we're looking at chapter 5, and this morning we're going to go through verses 1 through 15. We're going to pause at at the end of verse 7, though. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been lying there for some time. So he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. We're going to take a pause there real quick. You see, Jesus went to Jerusalem. He went to that pool. He went to where the man was. Laying among the multitude. This wasn't a Jewish temple, though. It wasn't a part of the synagogue. It was actually a temple to a Greek god. It was called an Asclepion. The Greek god's name was Asclepius. And the waters of the pool, as I mentioned, were said to have healing powers. Specifically, when the waters were stirred, the first person in the pool got healed of whatever it was that they were ill from. So the man was there among many, yet Jesus came directly to him. Jesus called out to him, 
and ask him if he wanted to be healed. The man didn't seek Jesus for healing. He was seeking the pool. He was seeking something earthly. So where he was, Jesus calls out to him, asks him if he wanted to be healed. He asked the man to search his own heart. Which did he want more? Interestingly enough, the Greek word that is used looks like our word hygiene. As a matter of fact, that's where our word hygiene comes from. It's pronounced hugies. But the meaning of the word has the connotation not just of physical healing. It's a Greek concept of the whole body or wholeness, mind, body, and spirit being healed. And it's to this which Jesus was actually referring. He wasn't just talking about the man's body. He was talking about all of him. And we don't really know how long the man was actually there at the pool. We, knew he was an, we know he was an invalid from, for 38 years. But imagine being that close for so long. Being ill for so long. Imagine the hopelessness. He's laying there. Nothing's ever going to change. He can't get to where his goals are. Imagine how accustomed he must have gotten laying there on that mat, begging day after day after day. So we know that he was stuck there for some time. And when Jesus asks him if he wanted to be healed, his response, rather than a resounding yes, please, was an excuse. Sir, I I have no one to carry me to the pool. Somehow he'd made it all the way to the pool, but he just couldn't get in. He couldn't get there to be the first one after the waters were stirred. He's trusting in that pool for a supernatural healing, but it's a very specific timing that he's got to get in the pool. And when Jesus is asking him whether he wants to be healed, you almost get the, the, the impression that what this guy was thinking was, well, Jesus is asking me why I haven't managed to get there. I'm laying right here by the pool. Do I really want to be healed or do I prefer to be a beggar? And sometimes I think we get stuck in that same mode when we're challenged, unable to get to our goals. What's wrong with us? Why can't we get there? Why can't we reach that goal? And we think about it, 38 years. If he was an invalid for all that time, that's 13,870 days. That's quite a long time. Trying to get to that pool. He may have thought, what are you thinking? I've been here all this time. I can't get to the pool. I have no one to carry me to the pool. What do you mean do I want to be healed? Are you going to pick me up? Are you going to carry me? And like I said, I think we can all identify with that man laying there on that mat. After all, as children, what's the biggest thing children want often in life? They want to be like the bigger kids. 
They want to be able to do the things that the bigger kids can do, but they're stuck. They're small. They're not getting big fast enough. They're not getting to do things fast enough. Right? Then as adults, we plan out our futures, places that we want to be, the lifestyle we want to live, the things that we want to do. And then a young woman finds herself a single mom, struggling just to survive and get by and provide for her family. Or a young man finds himself coming home from war and he's struggling with a lot more than just a lifetime tied to prosthetics. Financial ruin, cancer, death of a loved one that forever changes your life. We all can feel stuck in our situation. Stuck to in a place where we see no hope, no hope for true healing. We look for a way to cope, to get by, because truly feeling whole, truly feeling healed, truly feeling the fullness of the Lord inside of us just doesn't seem possible anymore. It seems beyond our grasp, sort of like that man lying on the mat. Then Jesus comes. He comes to us where we are and he asks us if we want to be healed. I remember when I was young, I used to listen to Paul Harvey when we'd go to visit my grandparents. My grandfather loved Paul Harvey. Almost always there was, there was stories about people and the challenges and the obstacles that they faced and how their unique situation ended up making a difference in this world. They were always positive, generally with a moral story behind them. A very common theme really was about people who were stuck in their situation. And he proceeded to tell us how hard work and courage and the seeming coincidences that surrounded their life all coalesce to near-miraculous outcomes. People that would end up making very unique contributions to this world. And only then would he say his famous catchphrase, now you know the rest of the story. One of the things my grandfather loved most about the Paul Harvey stories especially his commentaries about those people, was he could see God actively working in people's lives. He saw how God came to them where they were, not where they wanted to be. They didn't have to reach out to him. They didn't have to get to God. God came to them. So let's go back to our passage, because that's exactly where we left off with Jesus coming to the man. So Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. He he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. And they asked him, who is this man, excuse me, but he answered them, the man who healed me. That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. 
They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. In this part of the passage, Jesus tells the man to get up and walk. Note how he doesn't talk about whether the man will believe him. He doesn't ask for faith. He doesn't tell him that he will be healed. He simply tells him, get up, take up your mat, and walk. He tells the man to do something he has not done in 38 years. So you have to wonder what was going through the man's mind at that time. Anyone that knew this man, knew his situation in that multitude, in that crowd, would have craned their necks around to see what was this that this man is telling this person who has been laying here for so long to do? Is he insane? But with Jesus' command, the man is instantly healed. He's not only able to get up, but he's able to pick up his mat and walk. Imagine this in your mind. Picture it in your mind. Here's a person who's been laying on a mat still for 38 years. His muscles have atrophied. His joints stiff and crooked. Yet instantly, muscles are back, sufficient to lift him up, carry his weight and the weight of his bedding. He must have looked extremely emaciated after all the years of begging, begging for food, just trying to get by, waiting for that opportunity to get healed. But it's the Sabbath, and the Jews confront the man, and he's carrying his mat. And carrying the mat violated the, the prohibition against working on the Sabbath. But the Jews didn't get it. <laughs> and you know what? I just thought of this. It's, it's funny. They may not have even recognized him. You have the man that's been laying on this mat for 38 years, withered, emaciated, thin, crooked, now healed, muscled, carrying his mat. They focused on the mat, not the man. They saw the breaking of the law, not the miraculous healing. And yet again, the man's response was an excuse. Rather than responding with something like, seriously, I've been laying on a mat for 38 years. I'm able to pick up my mat and walk with it, and you're worried about the mat in my hands and not the fact that I'm standing here in front of you. In my notes, I put, are you morons? But I guess that's probably not something he would have asked them. 
But rather than that, he says, no, it wasn't me. It was this guy over here that healed me. He told me to take up my mat. Sort of like in verse 7, he seems to be falling back into old habits. He's falling back into ways that got him there in the first place. Now, personally, he's up and walking. I think he'd be dancing around the streets like King David after a victorious battle. After 38 years of laying down, I think I'd have some dancing to do. But then in verses 12 and 13, the Jews ask him, well, wait, who is this man? Okay, we'll let you off the hook, but we want the guy who told you what to do. But the guy didn't know who it was. He didn't know who Jesus was. I mean, we look back at this chapter. In verse 12, they're asking him who it was. But, but go back just the verses before. Jesus says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And the man gets up and takes up his bed and walks. Awesome. Then what? Next we have him being confronted by the Jews. There's no connection. The man didn't make any kind of messianic connection, such as in Isaiah, about the lame walking. He's just been healed. You'd think he'd stop and ask the man's name. Who is this that just helped him? Who is it that's just healed him after all of this time? But he doesn't do that. Now we also can realize that this man has walked a little bit of distance because he's no longer in the area by the pools. Remember, this was a Greek temple. This wasn't the Jewish temple. This wasn't the area around the synagogue. These Jewish leaders would have been nowhere near the entrance to this place. So he's out in the courtyards, maybe in the temple, and the Jews see him carrying his mat. Later, Jesus finds him again, though. He finds him in the temple this time. And once again, he says, you have been made whole. He uses the same word for healing, for wholeness. Excuse me. And then the command that follows, sin no more, lest something worse happen. He's telling the man something worse could happen if he doesn't change his ways. He's calling him to a different path. And it infers that the illness that he had for that 38 years was the result of some sin. There is a connection here that some, not necessarily all, illness can be related to sin, can be the result of sin. And he warns them that something worse may happen. The inference here is to separation from God for eternity as opposed to mere illness. And I call you to remember that there was no recording at all of faith or a question of faith in this passage. The man was still, while he was cleansed, he was still under the law. So when we're talking about 
faith and illness, or uh, sin and illness in this case. That's one of the aspects that the Jews believed. A lot of illness was directly related to sin. And in this case, it looks like Jesus was confirming that some of that is possible. And then finally in verse 15, the man goes to tell the Jews who Jesus is. Now there's conflicting opinion as to the meaning behind this and whether or not it shows the man proclaiming Jesus or whether it shows him bowing to the pressure of the Jewish leadership. I mean, the simple reading of the passage is that he goes to tell the Jews that Jesus is the man who healed him. But the motivations behind that are harder to determine. It appears that John could have included this verse. He could have included this passage, part of the passage, primarily because it connects the healing, which was on the Sabbath, to the confrontation with the Jews that immediately follow it. Because once again, Jesus is putting man before the Sabbath. Now, verse 9 is where a lot of discussions of this passage conclude. A lot of times when you hear it preached as a sermon or when you hear it in Bible studies and that kind of stuff, they kind of stop at verse 9. The man's healed, everything's great. He got up, picked up his mat, he walked. Awesome. It's an awesome miracle. But that wasn't the end of the story, really, was it? The man was healed and obeyed, but then seemingly falls back into old habits. He needed a reminder of just what had been done for him. And the question I pose to us this morning is, how often are we like that? How often are we given grace in some situation, especially a situation that we can't seem to find a way out of, only to fall back into the same temptations? Sure, we'd like to think of things like the addict who goes through cycles, he's addicted, comes clean, gets healed, gets off, and then goes back into addiction again. And that's an easy comparison, though, isn't it? But the truth is, we all experience some of those same kinds of things, have we not? Don't we all struggle with a certain sin that seems to be more tempting to us than others? Ones we fall into more readily? over and over again that we just never seem to get rid of. The good news for us is that we've been saved by grace. Jesus came for each one of us. He came to earth. He took on our form, our flesh, and he sacrificed himself for our sins. And now we don't have to be stuck in our sins any longer. We don't have to be stuck in our situations. We have the help of the Holy Spirit to guide us on a new path, a different way. You know, a friend of mine was once driving along. He was on his way to the big pond at his uncle's place, out on the back property. Problem is, it had rained the night before, and he was driving a two-wheeled pickup. Okay, I see by the looks on your faces, you know where I'm going. He got stuck in the mud, right? He's driving down the path, dirt path. It's now a mud path, and he's stuck. He tries rocking the truck out. That doesn't work. Tries a variety of things. Just can't get this thing out of the mud. Just about the time he's about to give up, go back to his uncle's place. 
Here comes his uncle and his cousin in a big four-wheel drive pickup that his cousin owned. And they pull him out of the mud. And his uncle shows him a different route back out to the back pond. I'm just going to tell you the fish fry was wonderful. It was awesome. But what are we to do with all of this? I mean, John tells us in chapter 20, verse 31, that his purpose for writing the gospel is so that we may believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, so that by that believing, we should have life. How do we connect this passage with that purpose? Well, for those that are already believers, this is an opportunity to reflect on where you have been. Where you've been stuck in life. Maybe where you're stuck right now. And seek God's help and guidance. Look up and find him right here where you are. It's an opportunity to know that God is with you, asking you if you want to be healed. It's an opportunity to pray and listen to his response. Read your Bible, seeking his wisdom that he tells us he will grant freely. To seek guidance from, brotherly, uh, from godly brothers and sisters in Christ. To look for God's participation in your life. Look for those points where he's been touching you guiding you. And most importantly, an opportunity to be ready for a new path. He may have something new for you on the horizon. He may be growing you, preparing you. He may be calling you to a deeper connection with himself. For those this morning that are stuck in unbelief, who have yet to accept Christ, This is an opportunity to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. It's an opportunity to find healing and a new path. You see, Jesus came to you. Just as he went to that man on the mat and he asks you if you want to be healed. Healed from your sin by his grace and forgiveness. Healed from your fear and your unrest by his peace and his strength made whole by being made new in him. So if you're here today and you're ready to accept Jesus Christ into your life, then I would echo the words of Jesus in our passage this morning and ask you to get up and walk. Walk to the front where we can talk and pray with you and help start you on that new path. Because you see, folks, One day soon, we are going to meet our Savior face to face. Amen. One way or the other. And just as that with that man on the mat, he may have taken Jesus' advice. He may have taken his words to heart and proclaimed him as the Messiah to the Jewish leaders. Or he may have ignored them and reported Jesus as the man who had told him to pick up his mat. We really don't know. But one day we too will answer for our choice to follow him or not. We'll either live forever 
with our Lord and Savior, or we'll live apart from him. And that, my friends, will most definitely be the rest of our story. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we don't have to stay stuck in our situations. We don't have to stay stuck in our sin. We don't have to stay stuck where we are. We don't have to try and find you because you come to us where we are. You come to us in our stuck situation. You come to us in our sin. You find us and you ask us if we want to be made whole each and every day, renewing us, forgiving us, teaching us and rebuilding us, making us new and giving us a different direction. It's a challenge. And it's not easy. But we know we can't do it on our own, Lord, and we can't reach you from where we are. So we acknowledge that we need you. We acknowledge that we need you to find us where we are. And for all of that, for the sacrifice, for sharing our suffering, for taking upon yourself our sin, We praise your name. We are so thankful, so humbled, and so grateful. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.